Well, good morning, Emmanuel. How are you feeling today? Pretty good? You excited to be here? I'm fired up today to be here. Merry Christmas to you. Uh, it's very exciting to be in our Christmas series. This is week number two of a three-week series. If you were here, if you weren't here last week, you can check it out on the podcast. That was week one. Uh, if you are a guest with us here today, you accepted someone's invitation, you normally don't come, we want to say welcome to you. Thank you for braving the roads and the weather and, and accepting an invitation. Hopefully you had a, uh, you've had a wonderful experience thus far. And we've had you in mind in preparation for this talk and for this service and for this weekend, so we're glad that you're here. And so let me start this way. How many of you are getting ready to have a family gathering in the next few days? Family gathering. Anybody? At least one family gathering? How about two family gatherings in the next few days? Anyone? Okay, we got some twos out there. How many of you are going to go ahead and do three family gatherings? Any threes out there? Okay. Okay, I'm just going to take a stab at this. How many four family gatherings are we? Anyone? Any hands? Wow, I see a hand over here. I'm glad I'm not in your family over here at all. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw some logic at you today, and you might disagree with me, and that's okay. You can argue with me in your mind on how it is, because I listen to talk pe- 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 people talk too. So, uh, but I'm going to throw some logic at you today and see if it makes sense to you. And here's, here's my logic today. Christmas is a time that, that puts us around people, and people are difficult. Therefore, here's my conclusion... Christmas is difficult, okay? Now, if you're in one of those rare families, you know, like Leave it to Beaver's family, everybody loves each other, everybody's happy, you know, that's rare. But most of us have, like, crazy people in our family. Have you noticed this? Like, it's like people are nuts. They really, really are crazy. I don't care who you are. You got some crazies in your family. And, and Christmas puts you with those folks, and so that makes Christmas a very challenging time. Last Sunday night, we were talking with our small group about this. We meet on Sunday nights, and, and one of the families spoke up, and I got permission to share this, and he said that we have to do three different Christmas gatherings because there's so much tension between my brothers and sisters that, Dad, we, we, just, we just can't be in the same room together. So we've got to do a Christmas here and a Christmas here and a Christmas here because otherwise there'll be a gigantic fight. Can you relate? Can you relate to that? Christmas time is extremely difficult because people are crazy. They really are. I was talking with a friend of mine about this uh, the other day, and he told me that years and years and years ago, his, when his great-grandmother died, his great-uncle, a lot of greats there, but great-grandmother died, great-uncle was married to a woman who, after the funeral was over, stole the wedding ring off of great-grandma's body. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, really true story, true story. Actually, she got the ring from the funeral director, and then she stole it from him, but didn't actually take it off the the, the great-grandma's body, but pretty close. And and because of that, this this, this stealing thing that happened, they haven't talked in 40 years, and she's still alive. She's still alive. So that, that ruined the whole family dynamic. And listen, I'm not kidding when I say people are crazy. They are crazy. People do crazy stuff, and so that makes it difficult because Christmas puts you around these folks. you got to be around, you know, all the people that, that, that are inconsiderate or perhaps deceitful or deceptive in some way, shape, or form, or perhaps inappropriate. Anybody have an inappropriate family member? And, you know, they're a bad example for the kids, and you're like, you try to prepare the kids before the family gathering, like, don't listen to Aunt Susie. She says crazy stuff, and you try to, you know, you try to prepare them a little bit, right? Or, or but what about Uncle Joe who drinks too much? and you try to get the kids ready to say, yeah, he's going to get drunk and he's going to start saying stuff. Why is it always Uncle Joe, by the way? I don't know why, but any, sorry if you're a Joe out there. You're probably an alcoholic. No, I'm just kidding. But 
It's like, you got to, I mean, there's just all these, all these people coming together, and, and then there's, you got to be around certain people that offended you years ago, and they did that thing, and there was never an apology. How many of you are going to be around someone in the next week or two where there was never an apology extended? You can raise your hand. I mean, look at the hands. Incredible. They never said sorry, and now you're going to have to see them, and there's those wounds there. I mean, Christmas is crazy. It really is. Unfortunately for far too many families, a win, a W around Christmas time is that there wasn't a fight in the family. <laughs> there was no fight at the family gathering. Isn't that unfortunate? And, and that's, that really is the case in, in many situations. Now, I'm a realist, okay? I'm a realist. I realize that, that things aren't always going to get, uh, be perfect on this side of heaven, okay? I just realize that. It's, you can hope for that, but it's just never going to be perfect. But I do believe, because I'm also an optimist, I'm a realistic optimist, that things can get better. Things really can improve from where they are. Let me give you a couple of thoughts here. Uh, when we look back at the Christmas story, this is what the angel said to the shepherds in the field after Mary gave birth to Jesus, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, placed him in the manger. At the same time, an angel came down and said this to some shepherds in the field. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. What's that good news? Watch this. He says, the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Four verses later, three verses later, a bunch of, a, a bunch, a, a host, the Bible says, a host of angels joined this one angel, and this is what all the angels said to get in, uh, together in unison in verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, say it with me, peace to those on whom his favor rests. This Greek word is, uh, the way you say it in English, is erene. It, it literally means to put all the parts back together to make something whole. Jewish people, back in Jesus' day, they would say it uh, as a departing uh, you know, gesture. They'd say, peace to you. And what they really meant was, may, may your whole life just be put together well. May, may you experience wholeness in your life. That's what this word, peace, means. Peace is now available for you. You can be put back together personally on the inside in your soul. You can be put back, put back together in relationship with God. And you can also have a relationship with other people that is put back together after there's been a breakup. There is peace available. Now, I'll talk a little bit about that because we're getting ready to, to meet up with our families here and we can experience, we can actually experience a little bit more peace at our family gatherings. That's really what this talk is all about. But let me go backwards really quick one more time and explain something that when, when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, okay, remember they were engaged, they weren't married yet, and they, they were not intimate, and so Joseph knew there was a problem. He knew that Mary was doing what? She was kind of sneaking out at night, messing around with some other guys. That's, at least that's what he thought, right? Because how do you get pregnant in any other way, right? So Mary's pregnant because Joseph is a really nice guy. He's going to break off the engagement. He's just going to, you know, kind of part ways with Mary because she's one of those types of girls, right? Well, at that night, that night, an angel comes to Joseph and says this. Hold up, bud. Hold up. Watch this. She's going to give birth to a son. And you're going to give him the name Jesus because he's going to say it with me save his people from their sins. Like Christmas is a rescue mission. Like people, if they don't have Christ in their life, if they don't receive what the Messiah has to offer, they're going to spend eternity apart from God. So this baby's coming into the world to save his people from this. So don't, don't break it off with Mary. Oh no, you go ahead and marry her. This baby is from the Holy Spirit and he's on a mission. And he's going to redeem mankind. He's going to provide reconciliation between man and God. And we're going to talk more about that next week, fellowship with God. Christmas is a rescue mission, but that's not all it is. 
It's even more than that. Jesus comes to save us from our sins. Anybody thankful for that today? Anybody? Amen? Anybody thankful they're going to go to heaven when they die? Right. Now, if you're not a Christian and you don't have Christ in your life, you're going to have an opportunity to ask Christ to come into your life at the end of the service. So hang on. Hang with me just a moment. Let's talk about what else the baby brings into this world. Mary, if we go back to last week, if you were here last week, Mary made a decision when Jesus came to her house. Martha made the meal. Remember, she got real busy. She got distracted. Mary made another decision to do what? She sat down and did what? And she listened. She listened to what Jesus had to say. See, people often think that the only reason Jesus came into the world is to save his people from their sins. Yes, that's the primary work of the Messiah, to die on the cross, to three days later rise again so that we can be forgiven of our sins. Yes, but he also had some other things to say. Otherwise, what was he saying to Mary? Was he talking about the weather? <laughs> was he ta- what was he talking about? The, the, the latest crop that, that, that Jerusalem was you know, producing? You know, what was he talking about? He was talking about life and how to experience abundant life. He was a rabbi. Rabbis had this thing called a yoke or a teaching or or a philosophy of how to find the life that God has planned for you. And so Mary's sitting at Jesus' feet listening to what Jesus had to say because there was a way, there was an ethic, there was a way to go about life that led to real and lasting and eternal life right now on this side of heaven. Do you believe that Jesus was the smartest person to ever live? Yes or no? Yes? You think he he knew about things? Do you think he was a master at chemistry? You think so? Some of you are like, I'm not sure. You need to think about that. (laughs) Does he know everything about everything? What do you think? You better believe he does, because he created it all. He's the most brilliant, most intelligent, smartest being in the universe. Therefore, does he know what we need to be doing in regards to our relationships in, in order to experience more peace? What do you think? Yes, he does. Well, he talked about that, and he spoke to others who've talked about that. And so today what we're going to do is kind of sit at the master's feet, just kind of hear what he has to say about relationships in order that we might experience more peace, and immediately in the next couple of days when we're going to have some family gatherings and be around some people where there's potentially going to be some tension. Let's look at what Jesus said. Four quick things. Number one, be kind. Be kind. Are you like, be kind? Are we back in the second grade? Yeah, yeah, let's pretend like we're back in the second grade. Because even though this is not profound, this is incredibly difficult. Do you agree with me? I'm going to share with you some of the most impactful, some of the most potentially transformative words in all of the universe. They also happen to be some of the most ignored words ever. Listen to this. Jesus said in Matthew 7, do to others what you would like them to do to you. What's that called? The golden rule. You've been to church before. Now, Jesus never uttered those words, but that's what it is, the golden rule. Basically, here's the idea. You want to have peace in your relationships? Yeah, around this Christmas time when you're going to see all these folks, your family members, simply treat them the way you wish they would treat you. Now, they may not treat you that way, but you go ahead and treat them that way, and you go ahead and see what happens. Be kind to them. How do you want to be treated? Do you want want people to respect you and value you and listen to you? Yeah, you're just like me. I love all that stuff. I love when people are kind to me and they're considerate to me and they value me. I love all that stuff. Jesus says, okay, if you love all that stuff, then just turn around and treat them that way. And when you do this, watch what happens. Jesus says this. This is the essence of all the 600-some laws that there are in the Old Testament. 
If you do this one, you won't even have to pay attention to all of the other laws because this one law will help you do all of the other laws if you just simply do what is best and what is right for your neighbor, if you simply treat others the way you want to be treated. Now, think with me for a second. Think about that person you're potentially in conflict with right now. Think about what would happen to that tension if you should practice the golden rule with them. What would happen to it? Do you think that tension would be resolved? Do you think it would be fixed? Do you think it would be healed? Let me, can I just be honest with you for, for a few moments? This week, I had a, a little bit of a, a fight with my wife, and she's sitting here today, and I think it happened on Tuesday. Is that right? On Tuesday? Probably Tuesday. And uh, we're raising these three kids, and they're great kids. One's 15, one's 13, one's 11. And, uh, you know, when you have three children like that, they're all active, they're doing things. And so I have a different perspective sometimes on what I think the right decision is or the right perspective, and that she has a perspective, and we disagree. And so we got in a bit of a disagreement, and I had one side, she had the other side. Of course, I was right. (laughs) At least at that time, I thought I was right. And so she said some things, and I said some things, and then there was some tension, and I got pretty mad. And I did one of those go-to-bed-without-talking-to-you things. And I rolled over on my pillow. I was like, you know, I'm not talking to you. And so I broke one of my own rules, which is don't, don't go to bed, you know, mad at your spouse. And the next day, it didn't get much better. And so, you know, and then I don't know, it was around Wednesday evening or something like that. I can't remember what it was. I just started to realize, how am I going to get out of this? Because here's the thing about being a preacher. It sucks, really. really sometimes it sucks. <laughs> I'm just being honest, Okay. Because now i got to get up and talk about how to resolve tension in your relationships, and I'm in this big fight with my wife. I'm not even talking to her, you know, over something with one of my kids. And then I just heard Jesus say, dummy, it's Matthew 7, 12. It's not that difficult. It's not, I mean, no, it's not that profound. It's very simple, but it's difficult to do. And so I just, you know, I could quote the verse to you, do unto others as you wish they would do unto you, right? So Jesus just says, just do that. Just show her respect and be tender and be loving and humble yourself. And you know, sure enough, we did that. And she was already on that side of things because she's more spiritual than I am. And so we both met and we just, just were a little bit tender with each other. And then we just resolved the tension. Of course, and then, of course, she starts kissing me and then everything else. You know, it's wonderful. So, <laughs> Isn't that wonderful how that works? Some of you guys need to get a clue. I'm serious. And in the end, just to be clear, in the end, she was right the whole time, and I was wrong the whole time. But just, just, but anyway, but here's, here's what I'm trying to explain to you. Like, this stuff works. This isn't theory. This is like real life. Like, Jesus says, hey, here's, you want more peace in your relationships? Just, just do unto others as you wish that they would do unto you, and it'll work out. Think about how many future problems would be avoided if you got on the front end of this thing. Before there was a fight, before there was tension, and you just extended the treatment that you wish you would receive from the people in your life. Can you imagine how many fights and tensions would be avoided completely? They would never even get started. Number one, be kind. Number two, be gracious. Be gracious. How many of you are honest enough to admit that you blow it all the time when it comes to your relationship with Jesus and what he expects from you? Anybody honest today? How about, how about being brutally honest? Would, would, would you be honest enough to say you blow it daily? Yeah? Often, yeah. Question, how does Jesus treat us when we blow it? When we miss the mark? He, say, he asks us to do this and we just don't do it. How does he treat us? 
Some of you think, well, I think he's going to send fire down from heaven and burn us up. <laughs> well, we, we, none of us would be here if that's how he treated us, right? In fact, some of you were scared to come to church today or accept someone's invitation because you always say, you know, if I go to church, the place will burn down. What? Look, it hasn't. It hasn't. We're here. <laughs> he doesn't send fire down from heaven. He's gracious to us. In fact, a guy named Saul in the Bible who was such a bad dude, he was a religious terrorist. He oversaw the murder of a guy named Stephen in the book of Acts. He was, his one main goal in life before he met Christ was to annihilate Christianity altogether. And then one day Jesus literally knocks the guy off his horse, shows him incredible grace and mercy, forgives him of all of his ridiculous sinning, and then turns his name into Paul, and then Paul becomes this incredible ambassador for Christ. He wrote the book, the books First and Second Corinthians, First, uh, First and Second Timothy, First and Second Thessalonians, Galatians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians. He wrote all fourteen books in the New Testament. In the book of Colossians, he has something to say because Jesus literally taught him this. He has something to say to you and I about relationships. Listen to what he says in Colossians three: Make allowance for each other's faults. Be tolerant. Bear with one another. Create space for people in their faults. And why, how can he say that to you and I? Because that's what Jesus did for him. Jesus said, you have been, you have been terrible to my people. You have, oversaw, over, you have looked over the murder of my people. You have, you have barged into, into their homes and dragged them out and put them in jail. And I forgive you. I am creating space for your sins. So Paul, is very, he can say very easily from experience with Jesus, hey, here's what you need to do. You need to make allowance for each other's faults. And he takes it a step further and he says this, and forgive one another if you have a grievance against somebody. Drop the charges. Don't hold a grudge. Let it go. He's not talking theory here. He's talking experience. This is what Jesus did for him. And he knows, he knows that this is what we should be doing for other people in real life. And if you're struggling with it, this is what he says. He caps it off with this. He says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Dish out the same amount of grace that, has, that Jesus has given to you. He's given, he's totally forgiven your sins. Every single one, past, present, and future. He did it free of charge. It cost him his very life, but to you it was free. And it was all motivated by love. Now take that same grace that you have received and dish it out to the people in your life. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Wow, can you imagine if you did that? If, you, if your family practiced this principle right here? In Colossians 3.13, how much more peace you would experience in your family gatherings. It would, it would, it would be transformative. Do you agree? It would transform your, fa your family gatherings. Yes or no? One day the psalmist was contemplating how God treats us when we sin. Listen to what he says. Psalm 130 verse 3. Lord, if you kept a record of sins, Lord, if you got a journal out and you got your pen out and you started to write down all of my sins, the sins I commit every day, if you kept a record of everything I did wrong, Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. You can almost hear him in his voice. Oh, Lord. Who would ever survive? No one. No one. So I th when I think about being in tension, a, a relationship tension with somebody and holding a grudge against somebody, whether it's someone close to me or whatever, all I have to do is spend some time thinking through, how has Jesus treated me and my failures? And when I get a, a grip, when I get an understanding, when I can get a hold of how Jesus has treated me and how gracious he's been to me, I can very easily begin to extend grace to the people in my life. Is that fair? Is that good? 
Number one, be kind. Number two, be gracious. Let's talk about this third one. Be quiet. Be quiet. Shh. At your Christmas gathering, some of you need to shh. It's real. It's real. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk to uh, the perpetrators here for a moment. You are the ones that cause the problems at the family gatherings, okay? Uh, you're the ones that say things that annoy everybody, and you, you're, you're the pot stirrers, okay? Now, what's ironic about you is that you don't even know I'm talking to you because you lack self-awareness. <laughs> okay? But I'm going to try to help you with that here in just a second. So I'm going to talk to those of you who are the pot stirrers. You need to be quiet. And then I'm also going to talk to the, the, the follow-up people. You know, who, you know what I'm talking about, the follow-up people? This, these are the people that respond to the pot stirrers. Like the pot stirrer says something, and then you can't hold your mouth. You can't keep your mouth shut, so then you start talking. Because what they said is so stupid and so ridiculous, you just have to jump in. Well, blah, 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 blah. Like... Look, like that helps. Like you actually think you're going to help the situation. And then everybody else in the room does this. You know, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> why, did, why, did he, why did he say something? Why wasn't he just quiet? Why didn't she just stay quiet? If, if she would have stayed quiet, then this would be over. This would be over already. I mean, we can't stop him from talking because he lacks self-awareness and he's the perpetrator. But you, you're the mature one. You're going to jump in on this? Really? Listen, I'm not making this up. This is like straight from the Bible, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Okay, watch this. Proverbs 17. <laughs> I love this. Sometimes the Bible just tickles you. I, I mean, you got to read it. I mean, this is good stuff. Even, even fools are thought wise. No, they're not, but they're thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem to be intelligent. <laughs> now, they may not be, and you may not be, but you look that way when you just right? Watch this. I love this. Same, same idea. Proverbs 10, 19. <laughs> Too much talk leads to sin. If you're opening your mouth, you're probably sinning. That was, that's just a great idea. That helps me to just kind of, just, oh, you know, and after the party's over, then you could talk to your spouse saying, I was going to say this, and I was going to say that, and I was going to say this, but I didn't. And, and then your spouse says, I'm glad you didn't say that. Yes. Shut up, right? You save yourself a lot of pain. Save yourself. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. See, I'm not making this stuff up. The Bible tells you to shut up. <laughs> See, come to church, get encouraged, right? Don't you love it? Now, if you're one of those people that lacks self-awareness, let me, let me give you two helpful thoughts really quick. Number one, uh, if you have tension in each one of the relationships in your life, like your spouse and your children and, uh, you know, friends or cousins or uncles or, or coworkers or whatever, if there's tension in all of your relationships or in many of your relationships, you have to stop and ask, Andy, Andy Stanley taught me this, you have to stop and ask yourself, who is the common denominator? You. And the light bulb goes up. Wow. Maybe, maybe the problem is not every single other person. Maybe the problem is me because I'm attached to all these people. And that'll help you to start to really calculate your words, right? One more thought for those of you who lack self-awareness. This has really helped me. You have to ask yourself this question. What's it like to be on the other end of me? What's it like to experience me? And don't assume that everybody's just having a party like you are. 
It's like, I tend to do this sometimes because I, I, I like myself and I like, I, like, I like me, you know. So it's like, well, you must be experiencing having a good time because I like me and you must like me and, and everybody likes me. Wrong. Not true. Not true. Not everybody likes you. Not everybody's having a great time at the other end of you. Like one time I had a friend say, yeah, I invited some people to church and, and they came in and, and then you started talking and you were like all over the place and, you know, real loud and everything and they never came back. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I thought everybody liked me. No, no, they don't. They don't like your style and your, your jokes or your humor or your political views or whatever. And so that really, that really helps me to go, hmm, wow, maybe I should stay quiet because not everybody is having a great time. What's it like to be on the other end of you? And then if you actually really ask that question, <laughs> you know, listen to the responses that you will get from, your, from the people in your life. It'll really be insightful to you. Those are, that's just some free stuff for those of you who lack self-awareness. Let's talk about this last one. Be like, all right, let's move on. That was, that was tough. Okay, last one, number four, be prepared. Be prepared. You're getting ready to go into your family gatherings. Be prepared. Come on, you can't go into this thing unprepared. What team goes into a game without a game plan, right? You're fa- you need a game plan. You are, you are about ready to play in the final four. Like, this is the deal, okay? This is the family Christmas gathering. Here, here, here's what so many people do. <clears throat> this, this blows my mind. They say, well, last year was a disaster. You know, Uncle Joey got drunk, and there was an argument, and we started talking about politics, and blah, blah, blah. All this stuff happened, right? And people got offended. I wonder how this year is going to go. <laughs> Let's sit back and see. <laughs> It's like, and that's what most people do. They just kind of leave it up in, the, up in the air. Like no preparation whatsoever to change the outcome. It's, it's madness. You got to take a different approach. You have to get prepared. You're getting ready to go into your family gathering and there's going to be tension and unresolved stuff and offenses and things that happened in the past and all kinds of crazy stuff, right? Get yourself prepared. Listen, as a Christ follower, your number one calling in life is to represent Christ. At your family gatherings, you're to give people a picture of who Christ is. You're going to have people at your family gatherings that are maybe agnostic or atheists or unbelievers or something like that, and they've got different, and you are supposed to be the light and the salt to draw them into eternal life. You, 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 you are there to influence them towards Christ. Listen to what the Bible says in Colossians 3, and whatever you do, whether in word from your mouth or in deed from your hands and your actions, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, simply meaning do it as his representative. When you go into your family gatherings as a Christ follower, you are his representative. Demonstrate what it looks like to be a Christ follower to your family. Be gentle, be kind, be loving, be gracious, be quiet when necessary. And when you speak, make sure it is only good for the use of bringing encouragement and love to the situation. This has changed the way I do my family gatherings. It's just, I'm there to represent Christ. And what does it look like to represent Christ? It looks like love. If you've been coming to church here for any length of time, you know that the idea of love is simply to do what is best for somebody. That's what love is. It's not necessarily a feeling. It can be a feeling. It's not an emotion. It can be an emotion. But more, more than anything else, it's doing what is best for someone else. Jesus said one time in John 13, said, listen, they're going to know that you're my followers by the love you have for one another. Love is the differentiating factor. It's the mark of the Christ follower. So you go into this thing and you're going to love. Now, Jesus said some very difficult things about love. If, you, if we're going to sit at the master's feet, we've got to look at what he said. Sometimes it's hard to hear. 
Listen to what he said. He said, you've heard it said in the Old Testament to love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I have a new idea for you. Watch this, Matthew 5. But I say to you, love your enemies. Oh my goodness. Love my enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who disagree with you, who insult you or against you, who try to fight you. Wow, that's incredible. Listen to what he says here. When you do this, you'll be acting like true children of your heavenly Father. In other words, this is the way God is. God loves everyone indiscriminately. Bad people, good people alike. Listen to what he says. For he, that is the Father, gives sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. There are terrorists today who make it their goal in life to kill people and blow people up who will be able to experience the sunset and have a warm meal and have a warm bed to sleep in. I know that's hard to fathom, but that is the way God is treating them for now. For now, there are murderers and thieves and all kinds of evil, evil people all over this planet that will experience the love and grace of God for now on this planet. It's what Jesus is saying here. And when you treat people like that, guess what? You're acting just like your heavenly Father. Listen, he pushes in. He pushes in because he wants to get deep down into our souls. Watch what he says here. If you love only those who love you, what reward is that? for you. What's what's the point of that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that. Even lying, stealing people who overcharge you on the taxes and pay the government and pocket the difference and become fat and wealthy, even they love the people who love them. He pushes in even harder. Listen to what he says. If you are kind only to your friends, how different from anyone else are you? Even pagans do that. Even people who don't acknowledge God, even atheists do that. It's easy to do that. I'm calling you to a much higher standard. I want you to be able to love the unlovable. And then he finishes out with verse 48. But you are to be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. What does that mean? It simply means this. You are to love those who do not love you. You are to be kind to those who are not kind to you. You are to show grace to those who insult you and try to hurt you and try to block you. That is the kind of love you are to show. Now, I know what you're thinking because I think the same way. It's like, well, I can't do that. I can't do it. I don't have it in me. I, don't, I, I just don't. I, don't. I don't have the ability to do what is best for those who are against me. I know. I know. And that's why Christianity, and that's why, the, that, that's why Christianity is something supernatural. We needed someone to invade this place to help us. And that's what Christmas is all about. The baby comes into the world, yes, to grow up and die on the cross for our sins, but he comes to bring something with him the power to do what we cannot do on our own, and that is to love. So that same guy, Paul, I mentioned a few minutes ago that made it his goal to wipe Christianity out, he wrote all kinds of books of the Bible. He wrote the book of Ephesians and Galatians. In Galatians, this is what he writes. But the Holy Spirit, the one who came with the baby, right? Christmas morning. The Holy Spirit, he's the one that produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Now watch the first fruit. Watch this. What is it? He's the one that produces agape love inside of my heart and your heart. The ability to love those who are unlovable. The ability to do what is best for those who are against you, who do not love you, who try to fight against you. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. This is a supernatural thing. You say, well, how do I I allow the Holy Spirit to do that kind of work inside of me? Isn't that the question? Isn't that the goal of discipleship? Isn't that the goal of being a Christ follower? Yes, it is. 
What we're doing is we are trying to cultivate the Spirit of God in our lives such that we can do supernatural things. So how do I do that? How do you do that? Well, what we do is we carve out time for spiritual practices. See, you and I become like Christ by direct interaction with the Holy Spirit by means of spiritual practices. That's what we do. That's, that's how it works. What am I talking about? I'm talking about doing what Mary did last week. We talked about this, spending time with God, meditation, prayer, and spiritual uh, uh, meditation on Scripture, and, and journaling, and fasting, and being in a small group, and all kinds of spiritual practices that put us in direct contact with the Holy Spirit such that He invades our life and actually develops His character inside of us so that when we go out into the world and interact with people, what they're experiencing is the fruit of the Spirit of our life. Not not us, but the Spirit of God in us. And that is the goal of the disciple. And that's what I'm really talking about when I say get prepared. When I say get prepared for your family gatherings, I'm talking about you spending time with God in such a way that his spirit is living in you and what your family will experience is the Holy Spirit through you. How different would your family gatherings be if that's what, if that's what was going on? Even if it were just you and no one else did it, no one else got prepared, but you got prepared and you did what you had to do. See, a spiritual practice is this, very simply, and I hope hope you'll remember this. This is so good. A spiritual practice is any activity that we engage in that allows us to do what we cannot do on our own effort. Any spiritual practice that gives us the strength to do what we cannot do by our own direct effort. Does that make sense? Get prepared. So, what have I said today? Well, Christmas is an opportunity for us to be around family. It's a catalyst for family gatherings, right? And family is difficult, and that makes Christmas difficult. But we can experience more and more peace as we extend kindness, as we extend grace, as we <laughs> practice a little bit of solitude and be quiet, and as we get prepared. In these next few moments here, we've created an opportunity for you to reflect. In the next few moments, as our band sings and comes out, um, I want you to just think through those four ideas. And, and pick one, circle one in your notes if you're a note taker, circle one, maybe two, and say, you know what, Over the next, in the next family gathering, I am going to put these two or three ideas into practice and see how my, it changes how our family gatherings go, and then I'll come up and close this out. The angel said to Joseph, don't, don't, don't break off the engagement. Mary has a, a baby inside of her, and she's going to give birth to a, a son, and you're going to call his name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. You know, the Bible says that God loved us so much that he demonstrated his love for us by sending Christ into this world as a baby to one day grow up, spread out his arms on a cross and die for our sins. And not just die, but three days later rise again, which is significant because that finished the work. It canceled the debt. It paid the price that needed to be paid for our sins and for the sins of every human being. And today, perhaps, you've never heard it put that way or you'd say, man, I've never never trusted Christ. I've never asked him to forgive my sins. Maybe today is the day that you take that step and you realize, well, I don't have to pay for my own sins, that Christ paid for my sins. So so I'm just going to put my trust and faith in him and receive his grace and receive his forgiveness. Maybe today is the day you do that. Now, I know there's some of you that... You probably think like people I've talked to. You think, well, 
I'll come to God when I get my, when I get my act straightened up. And, and I, I, I don't like to receive anything free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. I've talked to people like that. And they won't come to Christ because they feel like they got to fix, they got to come and fix themselves first. And then maybe they'll come to Christ. And usually it's men that struggle with this. Men don't like to necessarily receive things for free. But it's just, you can't change it. It is free. You come to Christ first for forgiveness. And then he fixes you up and changes you up. So if you'd like to receive grace today, if you'd like to receive the forgiveness of your sins today, will you come to Christ? You can say a simple prayer of confidence and faith in Jesus. And today, you will receive the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? If you feel led in this moment to reach out to Christ and receive his grace and forgiveness, pray this simple prayer. Take my words, make them yours. Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I've broken your laws. I've fallen short. But I believe today, and I'm confident today, that you died on the cross for me. And you rose again to wash away all my sin, the guilt, the shame. I receive your grace today. I receive your forgiveness today. Cleanse me and wash me and make me your child. And help me from this day forward to live the rest of my life to honor you, to bring a smile to your face, to please you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hey, if you just prayed that simple prayer, our, our church would love to put a, a gift in your hand on your way out. There's tables back here to the left and to the right. Uh, if you're in the balcony, you can come down and just tell them that you prayed that prayer to receive Christ, and they'll put one of these Bibles in your hands. And here's why we do that. It's very simple. If you've been coming for a while, you know that as you read the Word of God, God begins to speak to you and shape you and mold you and communicate with you. And it's a relationship. We talk to God through prayer, and He talks to us primarily through His Word. And so we give these away for free to get you started. Something else I want you to take note of if you go get a Bible, there's a, a, a little pamphlet in there, a little uh, handout that uh, has the word starting point on it. And starting point is basically a four-week uh, conversational environment that we have created for those of you who are just getting started in faith. You're just coming back to faith. You just put your faith in Christ. It's a place for you to get your questions answered and just talk about issues of faith with other people. And so that starts January 8th. It goes for four weeks. And so consider signing up for that as well. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? Awesome. Hey, before you go, before you go, Next week, we are meeting on Christmas Eve. We have a 3 o'clock service. We've got a 3, uh, I get this straight, 3 o'clock, 5.30, and 7.30, okay? So this, we have no services on Sunday. If you show up on Sunday, the doors will be locked. I won't be here. It'll be sad. Um, but, so don't come to church on Sunday. Can you believe I just said that? That's crazy. It's a church. Uh, but we do have three services on Christmas Eve. Here's the thing about Christmas Eve. I mean, you can invite your friends. They'll, they will accept an invitation from you. And so capitalize on one of those three services. Bring a friend next week, and we'll see you on Christmas Eve. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Savior. You bring peace. You bring joy. You are the master. You're the most intelligent, most brilliant being in the universe. Help us to put into practice the words that you've given us through, uh, by your, through your own words, through the words of Paul, through the words of Proverbs. Help us to put them into practice so that we can experience the peace that you, you came to bring us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you. See you on Christmas Eve next week.